Hello, my fellow Westorians. I'm Aziz. With me is Ashea, and this is Valar Reredus. Each episode of Valar Reredus for the Winds of Winter will feature a guest or guests. We'll take a closer look at each chapter, going through them one by one instead of in batches. A standard warning must apply. These chapters are subject to change by the time we see them. Though, in this case, I'm kind of dubious there'll be much changes, as we were talking about just offline. <laughs> This chapter's been out for 10 years. It was released six months after Dance with Dragons. So it was like <laughs> the sequel, like the insta-sequel. Today's guest to help us break down, discuss, and have a whole lot of fun geeking out on this chapter is Jason Concepcion, a.k.a. Network, a.k.a. Maester Jason. How's it going, my man? It's uh, wonderful to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Uh to a podcast and a stream that I greatly enjoy and that I have learned a lot from over the years. Awesome. No, very few people would know this, but you sent us a message back in 2014. We've, we've been communicating yeah. ever since then, and you were one of the first people to leave a review on our uh, iTunes. So, yeah, <laughs> this is... Uh, I mean, you guys, you've been doing it a long time and a... a one of my favorites. Well, thank you, Jason. Maybe my favorite. I, you just do it so well. We really appreciate that. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm, we're so glad to get to meet you at Con of Thrones and hang out and do fun stuff. Yeah. We have. We had a great moment with uh, with Nikolai, didn't we? <laughs> it was, yeah, that was wonderful. <laughs> so this is what happens. Nikolai is like, we're all sitting there. It's me and Jason and Joanna Robinson and uh, some of the other, uh, some of our other crew, like Neil and was, um, who else was there? Dave. Oh, Dave was there. And um, David was there. Yeah. So we were, we're chatting and, and Nikolai comes in with his family. So we're not going to go talk to him because he's with his family and they're just trying to have a yeah. meal. So, you know, we're just like, oh, look, there's Nikolai. And he has to walk past us to get to the food. Right. So he walks past us to get the food. He gets the food and he comes back around and he walks past us. And we all kind of like say nothing for a second as he's walking by. Yeah. You know, you just you say nothing when Nikolai is walking by, just in case yes, he like you say nothing. In case he says something. And he and and so he passes right. by and didn't say anything. But then he turns around and faced us and he goes, I'm surprised they don't have any lemon cakes here. <laughs> <laughs> and smiled at us and we just like we were too stunned. And do you remember what Mallory said? Mallory Rubin, of course. She goes, he talked to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was a, that was an incredible morning. <laughs> it was just the 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 atmosphere in the uh, dining room, this little dining room where uh, people affiliated with the uh, with the convention would be able to grab meals was just like it, it was crackling, and yet everybody was very quiet and just pretending not to notice Nikolai and to give him his space. It was amazing. Yeah, because there's like. Uh, one table with us and then his table. So I like yes. there's a lot of other people in there, but there's like 12 right. empty tables. So <laughs> it's like, that was a really good time. That's a great, yeah, I'll remember so that fun. one forever. So you are with Crooked Media now. That's all new project. It's been, what, about a year? Mm -hmm. I, I'm kind of, I've kind of, COVID, no, who knows it, how long it, I, these things, have, I can't keep Yeah, who knows how long anything's been. It's like, it's, it's like the time waiting for Winds of Winter to come out. <laughs> I don't even know what year or when it happened great or comparison. where we are in the process. <laughs> I, it's been, I want to say, six months or so. Oh, okay. Not even a year yet. Cool. So that's really good. Yeah. Well, and what is, uh, I, I guess some people may not have been made aware of that yet. Maybe a good time to, to let everybody sure. know what it's all about. Uh, I'm over at Crooked Media. We're doing, uh, I've got a podcast on sports that I co-host with Atlanta Dream co-owner, Renee and former uh, player, two-time WNBA champion, Ray Montgomery, called Take Line that comes out every Tuesday. And then I have a 
sports comedy show called All Caps NBA that comes out on YouTube every Friday. Like and subscribe. Yeah. And I was the, the co-host of Binge Mode for uh, as long as I was at The Ringer. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people will know you from. But now you're, mm-hmm. you're moved on to other projects. And, and of course, the Binge Mode content still out there for anyone who uh, yes. is needing some binging. Well, it's, uh, it's right there in the name. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have covered some really excellent stuff, like some, some of the biggest fandoms um, and, and really well covered. Oh, yeah. So. I appreciate that. Right on. Well, when we started these wins of winter chapters, when we started to get together how we were going to cover them, I asked you which one you wanted to do. And you didn't take a whole yeah. lot of time to decide. You were like, Theon, mm. boom. So what was it about this chapter that made you pick it? My opinion is that it moves the actual story, the kind of like main story along so well compared to the other chapters, which I, which I uh, greatly enjoy as well. But this one, uh, you know, feels like it picks up seconds after uh, Dance of Dragons. You get a check-in on events in the North, really crucial events uh, as pieces are moving around. You find out what Stannis is up to. You get Theon as Theon, you know, returning to himself. And it, it is a tantalizing tantalizing chapter that feels like it is impulsive in a way that you know sometimes some of the more shaggy a song of ice and fire chapters <laughs> shaggy that's a good term can it. feel you know what i mean like can feel like oh we're here and we're looking at all the things but the, i'm not sure how we're propelling yeah. the characters and the story and the stuff forward you know that it, it's it's not an original criticism but i think a fair one of yeah. some of the of some chapters in dance and, and peace Sometimes but they this one really. Sometimes they come back. You're like, oh, that's why that mattered. But you don't that's necessarily right. know it in the when you're reading it the first time. Yeah, absolutely fair. But this one feels like, oh man, we're going places. This yeah. is <laughs> this is tying into uh, to uh, events that were going on with uh, Wayman Manderley, and this is tying into events uh, that are happening directly at Winterfell right now, and yeah. and the the battle to come. And it feels like it's it could it could break out. Moments after this chapter ends, it feels like that battle could happen. It, it's very exciting. That is a very, uh, yeah, it's a really good rundown. I agree with you. Um, it's, it's funny, too, because I agree with that, despite the fact this chapter all takes place in a small tower. <laughs> it's like, right. there's not actually, it's like stuff happens. Inside the tower. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> but you're right. Like, you've got chapter, we got, we got Tyrion, like, facing down, like, actually seeing dragons. We got Barristan charging out at things. But you're right. Like, almost in a sense, more happens here because it sets up and it, it, uh, it illuminates so much. So many characters learn things and we know where they're at. So, yeah. yeah. And Sanus just kicks off so many different things like he he tells gives these orders here and there and it, it's it's seeing him return you, you mentioned theon coming back into himself but this is also i'd say stannis is more stannis than he's been in quite a while well oh great point a, a fantastic point and i think also a prime example of why stannis has so many uh, particularly book fans who you know have their criticisms of the way he was depicted in the show this is stannis as stannis fans love to see decisive is he too rigid? Yes, probably. But you know where Stannis stands. He has a code and he sticks to it. And according to that code, he is arguably the most just and fair character, you know, in this story. In a lot of ways, yeah. And and that's something yeah. I love that that you said that because it's something I wanted to bring up later, but it just fits so well now. 
Stannis is almost like a, a quasi POV himself because of what you just said. Yeah. Because he's so blunt and straightforward, you're le- you're not as you're you're wondering less what he's thinking because he says what he's thinking. Yes. Now there's definitely some cleverness, some things he's keeping hidden. So there's definitely something there. But to be fair, we get that even in POV characters like yeah. Ned Stark had some things that he just didn't think about. So yeah. well, let's give a few shout outs here. Thanks to our regular contributors. The Isle of Faces podcast. That's Joe Buckley and Emily of the Erie. They are, of course, in tandem with us on Valar Ruritus, and they are getting ready to start their Scraps and Screens edition. This was Scraps and Scrolls. They're doing a full rewatch at the conclusion of this, which is pretty close now. And of course, our good friend, Allie, uh, Allie, <laughs> goodqueenallie.tumblr.com. That's Nina Friel's blog. Check her out. She's going to be our guest next week for our TWOW wrap up which is to cover anything we didn't cover with the other chapters to take a look at everything as a whole. Plus, we're also going to take a look at the Asha fragment, as well as the Riverlands, so-called Riverlands prologue, which we don't actually have any text on, but we have a few details on. So little bits like that will be our a perfect spot for our wrap-up episode to cover all that. And uh, of course, if you want to ask live questions, if you have questions for about this chapter, if you have questions for Jason, hit us up. Ashe will grab those from the chat. And of course, as usual, if you have questions in advance of any episode, hit us up in advance, send them to us on one of our social media platforms. That's Facebook, where we have a great discussion group. We have a discussion group on Flick. We have the same going on Discord. We have a Slack channel. And of course, we're active on Twitter as well. And of course, you can email us at westroshistory at gmail.com on top of the other options. So as, I, as we usually do, there's a brief history of the chapter itself. Now, we already mentioned this chapter was released six months after Dance with Dragons. That was December 28, 2011. Wow. Amazing, right? Like, that's not even six months. Well, I guess it was Were about we, six months. It was a bit, yeah, what was that? So it was like yeah, June, about six months, I think right? it was June 2011 that it came out. Yeah, so almost exactly Yeah, six. wow. <laughs> Were we ever so young? I can't, it's honestly shocking. I can't believe it has been 10 years. <laughs> I just remember absolutely devouring the book. And this chapter dropping on George's website as a, it was just like an absolute treat. And again, maybe that is is some of my fondness for it. And the reason why, you know, at least in my mind, it feels like you're, you're picking up events directly after the book is I, we all read it directly after the book. Good point. Yeah. And uh, George himself says, quote, this chapter will be found eventually at the beginning of wins. But as you will be able to tell from context, <laughs> it actually takes place before some of the chapters at the end of dance. That is a very important thing to keep in mind, everyone, as we're moving yep. forward, because one of the topics, subtopics here is the timing of John's mm-hmm. uh, so-called stabbing, as well as the timing of the pink letter and a lot of other things, uh, which we will need to keep straight in order to properly analyze this. So let's hit you all with the brief synopsis, and then we're off to the races discussing. Our pet name for this one is the Tower of Ploy, a.k.a. the one where (laughs) Theon hangs with Stannis. The first line is, the king's voice was choked with anger. Six feet under is a euphemism for being dead, but in this case, Theon, like Alice, is in chains and hanging six feet above the ground, probably wishing he were dead. And he's not alone in that. A lot of people want him dead. Yeah, a lot of northerners. There's a lot of reasons. Uh, They... uh, (laughs) 
They are legitimately banging down the door of the tower to get in and kill Theon. They can't wait to have dinner with with Stannis and talk about. So uh, the guy hanging on the wall, any chance you're going to let us kill him at any point? Yeah, I mean, we're not big on burnings, but that will do. That'll totally do. That will that will be great. That would be great if we could kill him. So their main reason for this is that they are mad about the killing of Brandon Rickett, which to fair point, right? That's pretty bad thing to do. Now, of course, he didn't actually do that. It was one of the the so-called ploys that are on display in this chapter. He was more afraid of being laughed at than dying back in the day. Be careful what you wish for, Theon, because (laughs) being flayed has reordered his priorities somewhat. It has. (laughs) Laughter is a much different... He laughs at himself here. He says, the line is, all of it had only served to exchange one tormentor for another. So he's thinking how, yeah, I got away from Ramsay... Now I'm just, this is, is this really much better? You know, I guess it is better, but it's not yeah. a lot better. Now, Stannis has been revitalized. He hasn't given up because, yeah. well, he's Stannis. I mean, Tywin said that guy's not going to give up. And well, Tywin was right. His options are pretty bad, though. At least they were until this chapter. If not for being stuck starving in the snow, he'd be leading his army into a trap. Well, uh, grim, but also funny because, well, again, Stannis, right? Mm-hmm. What other candidate for the throne could be in such dire straits, seemingly doomed, only to have a banker emerge as if from nowhere to give you absurd sums, enough to take your army from tiny to huge, yet is he happy? Relieved? No. He's irritated over the price. He's like, I got to pay my brother's debts? <laughs> he's like a bolt from the blue, like the hand of God comes down to save him. And he's like, wait. I- that hand's dirty. It's an incredible, <laughs> incredible turn of luck for our guy Stannis. Not only the appearance of uh, Bravosi banker Tychonostorus to offer a line of credit directly from heaven that is uh, <laughs> going to allow him to put uh, an army and uh, some crack mercenaries, hopefully from Bravos, directly onto a credit card. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Arya Stark. Perhaps the key to uh, to wresting control of the North away from uh, the Boltons has legitimately just fallen into his lap. That it's too. a great, <laughs> great day for Stannis. But he's still grumpy. <laughs> he's still Stannis. <laughs> Nothing makes Stannis not be Stannis. Oh. Like he's always yes. Stannis. Yeah. So. But honestly, I kind of like it. I kind of approve because I, I like it too. Because these are because we all are like bankers, you know. They're always trying to they're yeah. they're you know always trying to get their their power over you. And this, of course, is a, a golden opportunity for a banker to get their control over someone who's uh, somewhat desperate. And he knows it. He's like, yeah, they know I'm desperate. They know they can. They're holding over me. They know how badly I need them. And Stannis doesn't like. It. He doesn't want anyone to. He doesn't want to need other people. That's his pride. But. It's also not really his money. It's the, the realm's money. It's going to all be... I mean, the bank's yep. going to get paid back by taxes, right? It's not going to come out of yep. Stannis' pocket. So you kind of appreciate that he's like stepping up for the realm's tax policy. He's like, let's not beggar everyone here in the process. So yeah, I kind of appreciate that. Right. And in, in, the, in today's uh, economic terms, it is a leveraged, something of a leveraged buyout. He is, he is yeah. borrowing money to buy a thing and then he will pay back the money that he has borrowed with the thing. Yeah. And so that's why I was calling it dire straits before, because he yeah. is basically getting money for nothing, uh, if not money for nowhere. And just, so he signs, of course, in blood because the ink is frozen. It's, it's really cold, even inside, even with fires burning. 
Uh, so Stannis knows his chances have improved massively, but he also knows this gold is going to take a while to matter, right? It's not like these, yeah. yeah. It's not like these sell swords are just going to appear tomorrow, right? Uh, it's going to take a right. while. It, so it's not like uh, season seven, season eight of Game of Thrones, where <laughs> uh, people will just blip across massive oceans uh, <laughs> shortly, and they'll just be here yeah. as soon as uh, you know, maybe tomorrow or the day after. <laughs> it will take some time. <laughs> it will take a significant amount of time. So, uh, but. Stannis is planning ahead. He's like, well, you know, yeah. it won't be much good if I'm dead before I can make use of it, but it, I have much more to do than just take Winterfell. And Winterfell is a tall order. Uh, literally 100 foot high walls are, yeah. are there. And that's only the, that's the second set of walls. There's some shorter walls in front of those. So that's mm -hmm. a pretty difficult thing, which is what brings us to the next point, why Stannis hasn't executed Theon yet. He says he's more used to him alive. How exactly isn't entirely clear, but the how to take Winterfell is... A, Oh, that seems like a solid guess, at least for one of the options. Yeah. And that would involve another ploy, which is going to involve another ploy before that, which is he tells Tycho not to get caught, uh, not to leave quickly, so not to get caught in the fight. He sends Justin Massey and Jane Poole, fake Arya, away with her, or him, and is preparing this, this maybe Ice Lake trick uh, that we'll talk about a little bit later. But he also has fallen for this ploy himself, this fake Arya ploy. Well, oh well. He, he can't win them all. It's, it's, it's very convincing to be fair to everyone. Yeah. Like, it's extremely convincing. She knows all the answers because, she, of course, she's the daughter of the steward. And so she knows all the answers that people would ask her. You know, uh, eyesight, eye, eye health, I'm sure, is uh, quite poor in the North. Uh, and she looks close enough. Yeah. And, I, you know, honestly, I think that even if it comes out when it comes out as being fake, yes. it won't matter at that point. Stannis will have gotten use of fake Arya. It right. would have helped him. And this is a good segue right. for me to mention. One of the other things we'll talk about next week is the convergence of Stark heirs at Winterfell, which is going to be a big part. Like, we have people converging on King's Landing. That's a big thing. But we yeah. also, all the Starks are reconverging on Winterfell. So we'll, we'll, we'll lay some groundwork in this episode, but that'll be a topic for next week to, to dig into even deeper on. Now. Uh, he does think he's returning a favor to John by sending him Arya because he doesn't have any idea this isn't really her. Uh, but Theon notes the letter with the black seal sitting on the table there, and he knows that could only come from the wall. And we know from past chapters that John sent Stannis a warning about the pending Karstark betrayal, which was sent to Deepwood Mott, and the banker picked that note yeah. up on its way and gave it to Stannis. So that's a pretty big deal. Stannis knows that's coming. car starts, man. <laughs> you can't trust them, man. You can't trust them. So with that vital intel now at hand, he's going to make use of it as best as he can. He's going to ploy the ploy, deploy the ploy ploy. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and uh, Maester Tybald comes in and he's questioned about his ravens. He's specifically... Oh, tough look for Tough look, tough for, look for my... <laughs> Don't look for my guy, my Maester Tybalt. Wow. Whoa. Not great. Not great at all. So he specifically, he's like, which castles are these ravens trained to fly to? He confirms his guilt uh, via his bladder. He's like, he's like I answer via urine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like urine trouble. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. He's like, okay, you got me. I sent a map to Roose Bolton. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> Whoops. Ah. <laughs> So, and we saw that letter. We saw that let Maester's letter yep. arrive the day Theon escaped. So that's, it's kind of under the radar, but it's very, very much there if you're looking for it, which of course we were. The Maester leaves, the Ravens stay, the Karstarks come in to replace them, 
And almost as quickly, they're led back out into captivity with at least one of them dead or dying, uh, maybe two. Yeah. And the fact that not all of them are killed is important, though, because it sets up another potential ploy, which is holding the sons hostage to make Karstark become a triple agent, something we've discussed a few times as a way to get into Winterfell. I'll be like, hey, mm-hmm. look, uh, we won the battle. See? <laughs> yeah, we won. And I'm Karstark. Congratulations, everybody. I'm your friend. Come out and see. <laughs> yeah, come out and take a look at it. But, you got to see this. And we're cold. Can you let us in? Let's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Don't worry about all the frays standing there with, with ill-fitting outfits. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So Stannis asked Theon a few important questions about Winterfell, about Ramsay, about Roos, the Manderleys, the Freys. Theon tells him that Aenys Frey is dead thanks to some pit traps dug by Crow Food Umber and that angry Sir Hostine is in charge of the Freys now. This makes Stannis smile, more so than the banker. But not, not, not only that, he prefers facing stupid and angry foes like Hostine, the cunning ones like Aenys. Yeah. And well, yeah. Like, Loves that. Duh. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Uh, but it's almost as if he approves of tricking Freys into falling because that's what the news he's been giving. He's like, hey, this Frey fell into a trap, into a pit trap. And he's like, hmm, yeah, I like that idea. You know, I love the depiction of how other people throughout the realm view the phrase now. Yeah. You know, phrase <laughs> made their move and it paid off for them, but they are widely reviled, reviled yeah. by everyone. The And that, uh, just getting a window into that throughout this chapter, that dance, uh, is one of my favorite things because who doesn't hate the phrase? Right, it's really hard not to. You Maybe there's a couple of them are okay, yeah. but like, yeah, it's really hard. Yeah. And, and yeah. you see too how they... Uh, there's more phrase have died after the Red Wedding than before it. And so that tells you, yeah. tells you something. But there's so many. I mean, there's, <laughs> they got a deep bench. You have a deep bench. You know, they got so many coming up from AAA. Uh, they've, it doesn't stop. They've got a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> the AAA phrase. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's this quote. Ashea? Sir, stupid, Lord, too fat, the bastard, let them come. We hold the ground. And that... I mean, to turn to our advantage. Yes, turn to his advantage, indeed. Now, when Theon points out there are no natural defenses present, simply, uh, Stannis simply says, yet. Mm. Who knew that Stannis, uh, I, I mean, obviously, Stannis loves a roast, or at least he, <laughs> he, he will allow a roast to happen because it's important for his army and for his, uh, his, his king-building uh, program. But he, man, I, who knew that he had this sense of humor and that he also loved to, to roast he is. His fellow nobles in, in Westeros. He's a funny man. Yeah, literal and figurative <laughs> roasting, indeed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had uh, the wit and wisdom of Stannis Baratheon. Oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> we haven't did yeah. an episode a long time ago on his humor. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so with that moment, the ravens scream in unison, making their presence known for the final quite creepy portion of this chapter, Damn. which comes as Asha enters the room. And Theon thinks on how they were reunited. Though laughter no longer hurts him, the confusion and disgust in his sister's eyes when she saw him the first time, the oh, pity in her voice, that hurt him. Yeah. That's some of my favorite writing of George's in this chapter is the way she takes a step back when she sees him. Like, that's how shocking the sight of her brother, her broken brother is, that she actually recoils from him. Yeah, and that hurt her him because he's, and especially yeah. at this moment when he's trying to recover his identity, he's trying to become Theon again, and... You know, he's feeling like Theon again, but to the person that should recognize him, he, well, she doesn't, and then doesn't, I mean, he doesn't really look like Theon, which makes it a little yeah. harder to 
be Theon, right? Hmm. Yeah, and I mean, she immediately steps back as he mentions, and she yeah. doesn't embrace him. But then when she speaks to him, she does speak very tenderly and lovingly. So yeah. th- that just speaks to just how horrific he looked. <laughs> yeah. And we haven't had her POV since she's seen this. And we know that she might have some guilt. Like, maybe I should have tried harder to convince him to leave with me when I came to Winterfell or mm-hmm. something like that. We have no idea. And we have no idea of what she thinks of this next moment, which I also am eager to find out what, you know, how she perceives this. By the way, important too, that he told her the truth of Brandon Rickon. So she knows this also, that the Stark kids aren't dead. He told her about the missing swords down in the crypts, which he doesn't, she probably doesn't know what, why that's relevant, but it's still yeah. interesting information that might come up later. Yep. But this moment with the raven scream and the heart tree at Winterfell knows his name. And that presence, that voice that said his name, it seems to be in this room with him again this time. And having seen it done recently, Asha's like, uh, I don't want you to see any more burnings. That one yeah. was enough for me. And so she says, do it the old way. Do it the northern way. Like, you've got northerners knocking down your door saying, kill this guy, we'll do it their way. Yep. That Brandon Stark's music uh, <laughs> with, the, with the Ravens chanting and crying and all these different interjections. One of the most intriguing parts of this. And there's two of them. Uh, Two ravens, which a lot of people like, one blood raven, one brand. It's it's a nice little fit there, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, we are obviously doing our audio plays. And so I I write out a whole script for each chapter, which is really interesting way to kind of view the chapter um, as an aside. You really get to see who talks a lot. But I had to name Raven 1, Raven 2. (laughs) We're actually casting Raven 1. I'm like, I guess one raven says tree and one raven says Theon. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And here's the quote. Their black feathers flying as they beat against the bars with loud and raucous cause. And this is an immediate reversal because, as you know, Asha, as he's thinking about how Asha didn't recognize him at first and recoiled, well, these ravens know his name. And he smiles at that. And well, smiles are a thing about Theon, right? Like, that's a thing that he was known for. His smirks, his laughing. And... He laughs a lot in this chapter, like kind of maniacally. Uh, yeah, but in, he not, does. in a in a not a in a not a good way. <laughs> like he's uh, <laughs> in a way that that shows how broken he is, like as a person. Yeah, but he's not broken, Reek. He's broken, Theon. So it's really it is like you yeah. say. It's really well done by George at that. It, it's still him, but he you get the broken quality and the original identity quality at the same time. Which yeah, I like that. Our commenter, regular commenter, Tree Girl, has a great take here that I want to get your reaction to. He says, "Give or she says, given how Stannis is coming alive and, and is so full of quips and energy in this chapter, it's hard not to picture Stephen Delane because he portrayed him on screen. But you really should be thinking of Timothy Oliphant here. <laughs> oh, wow. like, oh, yeah. So an even more handsome and grizzled. <laughs> good point, good point. Yeah, talking. Mallory Rubin, if and I should text her because she would be absolutely thrilled at a Timothy Oliphant uh, Stannis. <laughs> That's it. I mean, it's a good point. I, I, when I'm rereading chapters, will often uh, picture the faces of the various actors who have played these characters. It's kind of unavoidable yeah. and, and hard not to. It really is. Yeah. So I, I was doing that. She, uh, I wish I had seen Tree Girl's comment like a year ago or 10 years ago. Heck. <laughs> but of course, we wouldn't have known who I didn't know who Stephen Delane was 10 years ago. So hmm. yeah. maybe that wouldn't have worked out after all. 
the last we saw of Theon, he was kind of acting like a hero, right? He was, or not yeah. just acting, he was. He was saving Jane is heroic, breaking free from Ramsay's capture, his torment, his uh, abuse, all that. That took, that took a lot of courage. And he also had yep. to know that escaping wasn't necessarily even close to a sure thing. And they did get a little bit lucky. So one of the- got tremendously lucky, yeah. One of the big conflicts here is that it's hard to love Theon because he killed children, even though he didn't kill Brandon Rick, and he did heinous things. He's probably done worse things that, that Aaron Dampere did, at least on screen. Like, we don't know all the awful things sure. Aaron did. Yeah. But they start off in similar places in this chapter, hanging by chains in great torment. But in Theon's case, he's being tormented for something we know he didn't do. And we also know he has done some really good things that he probably deserves some credit for. So we have this amazing conflict of, yeah, he's done bad things. But yeah, this isn't justice. And yeah, he also is doing good things. And we want to see those good things continue. So it's like, ah, like, what do you do with all that? Yeah, it is tremendously complicated. And I think is kind of like uh, prime George in that he gives you these these characters who have in some way fundamentally betrayed something that is like uh, irreducible. Mm. You know, the, the, the Starks took him in, they treated him way better than they, uh, than they should have. And indeed that they were, uh, they were expected to, they treated him as a family member and that, that being part of their downfall and his, coming to realize that he had given away something that could never be reassembled, that will never come back. The truth of the boys may come out. It will come out at some point, but nothing can wash away the things that he's done. And even the amount that he's suffered, it's unclear that he's even moved the needle in terms of repaying the debts that he has incurred against the various people who he has betrayed. Uh, True. It, it's it, it's a fascinating, he is a fascinating character in a fascinating place. And he knows it, it, part of the what's great about this chapter, everybody has plans, all their pl various plans are in motion. But uh, Theon like, has the key in a sense to all to a, a lot of things that are happening, yeah, he really but does. he's keeping that he he we know what he knows. And he knows more than the other people involved. So that's part of why this chapter is so propulsive and good. It's a little bit like Ned Stark in a certain way. He's helping. He's decided that this person's identity must be hidden to protect them. And it's kind of a reversal. Instead of saying you, you need to not be... You need to... Jon Snow has to pretend to not be a Targaryen or the son of a Targaryen right. or whatever. This is the reverse. He's like, you need to continue to pretend to be Arya because if you're nobody... They, they'll just throw you, cast you aside. Pretending to be Arya is keeping you safe. It's the inversion of you know, pretending to not be the son of a Targaryen will keep you safe. Yeah. So that's a pretty fascinating. Like Theon is, is almost living out something he witnessed by being a hostage. Um, and I mean, Jane and Sansa are experiencing the inverse of each other too that's there. Right. Yeah. Jane and Sansa are. Yeah. And obviously yeah. Sansa has to pretend to be someone else to keep safe. And yeah. Very true. Yeah, there's all these different Stark kids that survived Winterfell are all pretending to be someone else. Uh, <laughs> Arya, in particular, has been about, what, 15 different people or so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe more. I don't know. It's like, we got to count that. It's a big, long list of names. I believe there's some T-shirts that, that have them all, all those <laughs> identities listed there. Yeah, there are. <laughs> 
Uh, speaking of t-shirts, we do have shirts now. That wasn't intended to be a segue to selling <laughs> shirts, but hey. It's well, perfect segue. Yeah. What, uh, was it historyofwesteros.threadless.com? Indeed. All right. I remembered it this time. Yeah, we, we just got shirts after. Yeah, it only took us 10 years also. <laughs> 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 We're right there with George. Yeah. So yeah, so check that out in the store. There's a lot of different designs. It's not just shirts. You get stickers and things like that. It's pretty cool. We just launched it um, about two weeks ago. So yeah, people can't forget what Theon has done. And we have another yes. incredible counterexample. And the fact that George has brought Theon and Stannis together is so wonderful because this is the guy of all people that doesn't erase the axe, good or bad. You know, the good axe doesn't wipe out the bad, vice versa. There's just almost nobody that is more interesting to have this conflict of justice in front of than yeah. the man who most personifies justice within the story. So I think that's super cool. And we have Davos uh, as our great comparison here uh, where yeah. guess who else had their hand maimed and is something and is something of an abusive relationship. It's not nearly as abusive as Ramsey and Theon, but going over this chapter, that started to come out a bit. Like, what is the Westerosi relationship between Lord and Lesser Lord and Lord and Peasant? It does have a lot of Stockholm syndrome or just abuse really abuser does. to it, doesn't it? Like in this cutting like Davos was maimed by Stannis and loved him even more and, for it. Right. And at the same time, Stannis, again, one of the most rigid men in our story, is strangely also the one who who at time and when you least expect it is the most open to pushback from Davos from other people in his orbit. He is, as he says in this chapter, well aware that there are, uh, that his army is religiously split. That there are some followers of the Lord of Light, and there are many who find the, the Lord of Light uh, troubling and the practice of burning people alive despicable. Uh, he's trying to hold that fragile coalition together and. Uh, Davos is a rare example of upward mobility in, in Westeros. Here is a person who came from very little. And his little finger would be the other one. <laughs> came from very little. And because of this extremely, again, rigid man who is, uh, by the same token, appreciative of people who do him a service, he has been lifted up to the, you know, some of the highest levels of council and power in the continent. Yeah, well said. And I, I have a kind of a theoretical question here. We know that sure. Stannis, if Stannis were to learn mm -hmm. the truth, Bran and Rickon are alive. How does that impact his view on what kind of justice needs to be done for Stannis, uh, for, towards Theon? And what do those northern lords think? Are they going to be like, oh, he didn't kill Bran and Rickon and he actually helped Arya escape? Well, are they going to just do an about face? Or are they... I don't know. I, I just really wonder about that. We This is something missing from this chapter. We don't get to see those Northern Lords. Yeah. They're like the next ones to come in. That's like after the, the Ravens start calling and we have, no, they know my name. The next thing we would see in this chapter would it to continue would be those Lords would come in. Big Bucket Wall and Ned Flint are supposed to be the next ones to come in to talk to Stannis. So presumably we would see their reaction, but we may never get that right away because when the next thing, for all we know, the next thing that's going to happen is the Asha chapter and we're actually in battle or something. But yeah, I would imagine that should the truth come out, you know, if the truth comes out immediately after this scene or whenever it does, I don't know that it changes much. He still uh, betrayed the family that took him in and treated him like a son, True. led to their downfall, led the Ironborn into the north. It's still pretty bad. He did kill 
uh, a couple of kids. Yes, they were at high board, but it was pretty tough. Like, still uh, heinous, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's still absolutely despicable. I think that he would still be utterly reviled. And in a weird way, because, you know, power plays, ruthless power plays in this world are common. They're an everyday occurrence. In a weird way, you almost feel like he would be even more despised for a, for not even killing them, for attempting to pass off two kids who weren't Brandon Rickon. For like it, it would be like, oh, now he's just like a con man too. He didn't actually have the skill <laughs> to do the real thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yes, instead totally. of like thinking he's, it's like what he thought is like better to be thought of as as weak than, or better be thought of, yeah, as as as, as, as terrible and strong than as weak yeah. and so kind now of terrible. Yeah, and so- yeah, and now all of a sudden he's he is exposed as weak and still manifestly terrible. And, and and just in terms of appearance, he looks pitiable too. So it's so hard for like yeah. Westerosi who really look at him strength as a virtue and prowess yeah. as a virtue. He's very much the opposite of that. So yeah, it's hard for them. It's hard for to come up with a circumstance where they would forgive him or or or, or look <laughs> at him well. Yeah. He needs to do a bit more to, to be any sort of like rehabilitation in their eyes. On the other hand, Bran, speaking through the Weirwood here, it seems like Bran's got a different take entirely. He doesn't, if, if that's Bran's voice, you know, yelling the names. I don't know. Do you think that, um, I think Bran's maybe has forgiven him or thinks he's suffered enough or is it something else? I mean, it's hard. I, this is a tough question. We don't really For know. me, for yeah, I, obviously this is so much of, discourse around everything you know in this world is is theoretical at this point and but you know what i embrace it because i just love talking about this story for me those theon 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 i interpret that that as uh, you know when last we we uh, checked in with bran eating the werewood paste having his visions he was inundated by these intensely strange and yet also familiar visions of times past of things he didn't recognize i would imagine in that context seeing someone that he knows who he recognizes after so much time has passed it's almost just an instinctive like oh theon you know you, you if you if you run into someone that you haven't seen in a long time you know on the street or something something like that yeah. just an exclamation of oh it's theon theon <laughs> it's you and so less a, less a function of his forgiveness and more uh, of as he is traveling through this kind of like endless ocean of years through the weirwoods, seeing someone who he knows and who knows him. Mm. That recognition. Nice. Yeah. Well said. Some other nice comparisons here. Uh, Nina noted, as we did at the beginning, the comparison, the very strong parallel to Theon and Aaron here being hung from chains mm. at the start of their chapters is pretty straightforward. Captured by an enemy king. They're both Greyjoys, obviously. But also, they're both captured by a, a sort of one-eyed man. Euron isn't actually one-eyed, but <laughs> so we could say captured by a man with an eye patch, because Moore's eye patch, he's got a, has that eye patch. And, and George doesn't uh, wants us to make this connection, because he even has Theon think of Euron. He thinks when he, in his memory of this, he's like, he sees Moore's eye patch and it freaks him out a little bit. It makes him, it gives him the urge to rip the eye patch off to make sure there's yeah. really a hole there and not a real eye. 
Yeah, like Theon doesn't actually have a lot of memory of Euron, but even he's terrified of him. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, that's a, a, another thing just to, you know, sing George's praises in hopes that somehow that energy gets out in the universe and, and spurs him to write his fantastic uh, stories. That's one of the things that I think he does ever so well and why this world really crackles as if it's alive and real is the way characters react to rumors to the to the reputations of other characters who we have never met you know like he's able to introduce these characters with such impact because the characters that are already there in the story are like oh no yeah that, that person is scary that was <laughs> like, really fun yeah. to look back at a reread and be like oh yeah they mentioned you yeah. here like well back like right at the beginning and this other yeah it's like, oh that's so cool yeah <laughs> Um, and more parallels. This is this is really deep. We've got Victorian was given the dusky woman. Euron said, "I'll kill her mm-hmm. if you don't take her." And so he's like, "Okay, I'll take her." And then Felia Flowers with Aaron. Uh, he saw her as beautiful. Yeah. He felt sympathy for her. It's it was like a touchstone to his humanity. Her her character as well as being quite compelling on her own. And now we have Theon and Jane. Theon's putting a lot of his yeah. hopes into rescuing her. It's 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 not for him. It's almost more for her than for himself because he's his own self-esteem and ego are just hardly present at all. And these poor women have gone through so much. Uh, The first two have lost their tongues. Jane's lost part of her nose and she's not allowed to be herself. So it's kind of an identity thing where Mm -hmm. it's kind of like being silenced where you have to pretend to be someone else. It's a bit metaphorical, but. I mean, think about, I think Jane is really important just for Theon here in that I think he would have just given up and died. Yeah. There would would be no more Theon if he didn't have someone to hold on for. Yes, I, I completely agree with that point. I think Theon not only would have just like shriveled up and died, but it, there's every possibility that he would have just, you know, the threats within Winterfell were so great to his person. Like mm-hmm. he could, he would have, had he not moved when he did, uh, showing great courage to do so, I don't know how long he would have yeah, who knows what uh, stayed alive in that castle, you know? Yeah. He, he knew it was his chance and he was right. Yeah, like, I don't know if he would have gotten another chance. It seems hard to imagine. <laughs> and it's something to think about. It's, George is so good with perception. And if you put yourself mm-hmm. in the shoes of a different character and think of what they're thinking or try to at least imagine what they're thinking, like put yourself in Jane's shoes when Theon is saying, look, it doesn't matter what you look like. This is in response to her right, losing her doesn't matter. Like, It doesn't matter what you look like. They're going to want to You'll marry a thousand you. men. Yeah. yeah, a thousand men will want to marry And as, he, she's, as he's saying that to her, him, think about what he looks like while he's saying he this to her. He like flayed, yeah. shattered teeth. And he's still heir to the um, Iron Islands, like arguably, yes. right? So he's like, look, I'm still mm-hmm. this. Like, <laughs> So, woo, yeah, it's really something to break all that down. The, the con, as usual, there's so much to talk about with the plot, just like, all these mysteries and what's going to happen next. But if we were, we could have, we could sit here and just talk about the conflict between these characters and the setup with the emotions that they're faced with that alone would, would carry us through several hours. So, (laughs) but that's not what we're going to do. We are going to talk about several different things. Uh, So let's see, we've got a super chat from Bran Winslow. He says, happy Valar Rita Sunday, everyone. My favorite preview chapter for all the peak Stannis humor. Right on, right Oh, wow. (laughs) Cool. I agree. It's a great, it's a a super fun one. Yeah. Too short, too. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Dornish Dame says, and Sansa worries she'll never truly be loved, only wanted for her claim. While Theon tells Jane that nobody will care if she loses part of her nose to Frostbite as they'll still be her claim. Very, very good comparison, Dornish Dan, because yeah, yeah for, for Jane is like, well, I have to, 
for her, it's survival. And for Sansa, Sansa has yeah, a little more... complete survival. Has a little more... I wouldn't call it luxury, but she has a little more freedom to think about. I would call it luxury. I, I would call it luxury. I guess compared to this, it's luxury, yes. yeah. yeah. <laughs> compared <laughs> to like about probably 98% of the people on the continent, yeah. maybe more, she is in luxury. Yeah, overall, for sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like worrying about being loved when you're like, you definitely don't worry about being loved when you're like, about to die when you're like tra- traipsing through the snow with your nose lost to frostbite. You're like, I wonder if anyone yeah. loves me. <laughs> <laughs> Does Theon like me? Does, yeah. <laughs> no, that's not going through her head. Yeah, that's that's she's got the terror and the and the anxiety. And yeah, that's uh, love. That's for later, if at all. Hopefully she gets to be in a place where that's a legitimate concern. So we, we've covered a lot of the escape portion of this already. We, we see Crow Food Umber show up and ask those questions. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really interesting that she passes this test in a convincing way, in a way that us readers would go, yeah, of course she knows those things. But he, Morris Umber, doesn't consider that she's just someone that lived there. Like, it doesn't seem to right. occur to him <laughs> that... I, I gotta <laughs> say, it's a great point. <laughs> we got to go more like like three questions kind of like, <laughs> do you remember this person? That's a good start. I think we need to go a little bit deeper. than I would have some like, other people also question her later. Yeah, <laughs> we need to we need to like bring all of our resources. There are a lot of northerners here. A lot of northerners who we presume would have some amount of familiarity with Winterfell, the personnel, the layout, the the Stark bloodline in general. That was surprising to me. No Stark bloodline. Who's your grandfather? Like no Stark <laughs> bloodline questions. Mm, good point. That's a great yeah, call point. right there. <laughs> Maybe that's too obvious, but that's funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she's like, and she's under a lot of pressure here. Like we got another time where we really a, need a to, tremendous pressure. We got to put ourselves in her, in our, in her shoes again and think, okay, she's, panicked she's anxious and as we find out later she broke ribs in that fall so like she's also in severe pain absolute miracle that they survived that i mean you know the jump from the outer walls into a a massive snow the snowbank lucky it was there but still that is and uh, from theon's point of view he dresses it up a little bit right he says we flew because he's like you know it's a fitting end it's the hero rescuing the princess but stannis is like you fell Right, right. It's like and congratulations too, because because they were going to clap you back in irons thirty seconds after you landed in the snowbank if, if we didn't show up. So you're welcome. I, it's it's almost too bad that we're not going to probably not going to get more Theon and Stannis because they really do kind of make an interesting <laughs> like this dialogue. It really is. It is wonderful. I, I you. I'm glad you mentioned that because at this point in the story, everybody is so separate. Uh, and has been separating for the course of the books. Yeah. And it's only it's only in dance, the hints of it, where you start to feel people converging on on locations. And so to have this wonderful pairing of of Theon post flaying and Stannis trying to cobble together some kind of kingdom, both of them in an odd couple fashion, <laughs> meeting each other in different ways. It's just really fun. It's yeah. super fun. Yeah, totally. We mentioned lemon cakes with our anecdote with Nikolai earlier, and lemon cakes are a part mm. of this chapter. It's one of the little reminders, one of the one of the little clues slash questions that she gets quizzed on. So that's fun to make that little note. 
Well, let's talk about the scene with the with the maester and meaning Maester Tybald, who, as you said, is is like your brother. <laughs> so <laughs> earlier we said it's oh. like uh, we said we use Tree Girl's example of thinking of Stannis like he's Timothy Oliphant, but in this moment he's more like Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction reading Ezekiel twenty five seventeen. The path of the righteous man <laughs> is beset on yeah. all sides. Master Tybalt here is not the righteous man, and Stannis is too proud to be a shepherd, but he's not too proud to toy with this lamb, asking him pointed questions about ravens. He's like, where does this... Here's a quote. Tell me then, where are these two trained to fly? Master Tybalt did not answer. Theon Greyjoy kicked his feet feebly and laughed under his breath. Caught. He's caught. Yeah. So another example of Theon's like sense of humor, how he laughs at everything, but yeah. it's twisted into these kind of things where this dude, he's laughing at a guy who's about to, I mean, he's screwed, totally screwed. And, and in a violent, painful way, quite possibly. So this is, this is kind of reminiscent of the, uh, again, a reminiscent of Davos, uh, of what he tells yeah, Davos saying like, I sure. wish I could just cut all their heads off, but nope, he has to use them. But this is a very different kind of using them. Before, it's like, I'll use their soldiers, their castles, their gold. This is a totally different kind of using them. This is manipulation. This is, I mean, not that they don't deserve it, but it's its like turn the beat around, but it's turn the ploy around. It's, yeah, it's all that. A great point. And it's also um, kind of not in Stannis's wheelhouse. You know what I mean? Like you're, what we're witnessing here is a person who is very direct all the time. When he, uh, you know, in this chapter, when he mentions Theon, is talking about uh, we listen uh, Ramsey is the one you need to be afraid of we need to be worried about him forget about Roos he's you know he's the soft one Ramsey's a tough one mm-hmm. and then Stannis reels off his CV you know I defeated your uncle uh, at Fair Isle the first time your father crowned himself I uh, I took I held uh, Storm's End against the entire power of the Reach, eating rats for a year. I took <laughs> yeah. dragons from the Targaryens. Stannis is like, punch you in the face, direct, I'm fighting you. Here, now, we're seeing him out of necessity because of the weaknesses of his position and the, and the amount of tools that and the kind of tools that have fallen into his grasp moving pieces in a way perhaps that his opponents would not suspect. Yeah. Uh, and it's really interesting from him. It is, because like you said, it's re- reputation way. means so much here. And you, you're yeah. right. Stannis's reputation is for more direct and blunt challenges and being sneaky. We've seen him be clever, but it's not necessarily a big part of his reputation and it's not common. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're right. He's kind of, it's, it's like he's uh, leaning on his reputation to make, to, to someone who's known for being passive all of a sudden becomes really aggressive. They will never see it coming. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty cool. That's a good way, good, good way to frame it. And also, uh, it, it works really well for his intimidation of Car Stark and yeah. the Maester because A, his reputation is what it is, but B, it's been freshly updated with the burnings of people. And so they're <laughs> like, yeah, what, we'll do whatever you want. We'll do whatever. Yeah, yeah. Just don't burn us. <laughs> yeah, don't. Uh, I'm out on the burning. You want to chop my head off? That's fine. But the burning is, I'm not, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so prior to this scene, there's the discussion, like we said, we keep bouncing around to this, but it's re- really relevant here is the moment where Theon is being asked questions by Stannis. Some of this is sort of done, presented in the chapter as, a brief memory as, as Theon is remembering this moment. And we have a very kind of odd 
piece of language here in how it matches um, a different phrase elsewhere. Shea? He wants his bride back. He wants his reek. That's from this. That's from the pink letter. That is from this chapter. But this next line is from the pink letter, which has the same line. I want my bride back. I want the false king's queen. I want his daughter and his red witch. I want this wildling princess. I want his little prince, the wildling babe. And I want my reek. So the big question, why is Theon uttering words that are the exact same words as in the pink letter, which, as we noted at the beginning of this chapter, George says, this chapter comes before. So John's stabbing hasn't happened. He may not have even received the pink letter yet uh, as of this chronology. So, well, pretty, uh, this is a piece of evidence that Stannis wrote the letter. I, I think so, too. It's fascinating. The timing means everything here. But, again, feels very precise and conscious to lift those phrases and put them in Theon's mouth. I'm so baffled by it because as we've been over the pink letter so many times, we've pointed out, we've gone through all the different theories, all the iterations that as far as I, as far as we can, and we've noted that every theory has problems. So you could say, yeah, well, it can't be Stannis because of this. Every single one. But you could also say it can't be Ramsey because of this. So I still kind of lean Ramsey, but I'm not, I've I've never been like super like, ah, it has to be him. Here's it. Occam's razor. If we Occam's razor it, because I lean Ramsey as well, because I I can't I can't suss out why Stannis would do this. Yeah, like I, exactly. the, the motivations don't quite line up for me. But if we were going to Occam's razor this, Theon has spent endless hours in the presence of Ramsey Bolton, picking up his syntax, his grammar, his turns of phrase under the knife, tortured in some of the most horrific ways as Ramsey lords over him and, and says things to him. And then just outside of the torture, all the times that Ramsey trotted him out as this pet, as this like broken person. Maybe it's just one of those things where if you're around someone for, for a long enough time, you just pick up their, their speech patterns. And maybe that's yeah. just in a kind of coincidence. I've, now, I don't love coincidences in stories, but maybe that is a reason if we were going to Occam's razor explanation yeah. why, perhaps. I, I'm definitely down with that as a possibility. And you're, and we had at least one commenter suggest that as well. So that, that kind of gives it a mm-hmm. little more validation that it's not just, you know, something pulled out of nowhere. And uh, so, yeah, I tend to think that's a, a valid option. One thing that just to add a little more context, since we are pretty sure the letter hasn't even been sent yet by this point, uh, right. that means that it would be a little odd for Ramsey to have sent the letter so quickly after the battle, knowing that there's no way Theon could have gotten to the wall so quickly. Like, it's a long way to the wall from the Crofters' village. So why is he yeah. sending a letter to John expecting Theon to be there when he knows there's no way Theon could have gotten there that quickly? Maybe he's just saying, well, when he gets there, send him to me. Something like that. Like, it's not... Yeah. It's not a dead end, but it's a, it's a curiosity. One of many in this situation. One of many, many, many. <laughs> but uh, unless you have anything else to add on the pink letter, let's move on, because I think it's a topic we've covered pretty quickly. Sure, let's move on. Okay, let's talk about the plan, the battle of ice, the tricks, uh, all the different ploys. Just real fun here. I'm going to list off all the different ploys that are present in this chapter, uh, kind of why we named it the Tower of Ploy. Uh, we've got the tower itself, uh, which is probably part of the lure the fire burning on top. It shows the phrase where to go. It helps them. They want to be found. They want to be, they, he wants to lead them out onto this lake. We also have this line, 
in Bravos, you may hear that I am dead. It may even be true. <laughs> so <laughs> that's like, uh, you don't know exactly what he means by that, but it certainly sets up the possibility that there will be rumors of his death and that Stannis will be aware of them himself. Like he may be the reason those rumors exist. It's that much at least is clear enough. Then we have the maester sneaking a letter off to the Dreadfort, which Stannis undoes and, and triple agents that move. Similar with the Karstarks. And then we have the Arya thing that we talked about. That's the reverse ploy. So basically we have this setup. Stannis is basically just on top of almost everything. He's tricking everyone yeah. a lot of times by undoing their own tricks with only one or two exceptions. He's not falling for any of the other tricks that are thrown at him. Only the, including the banker, even the, even the yeah. type, other types of tricks like we talked about, about leverage buyout. Like he, he sussed that yeah. out too. All that will amount to this final question. Um, well, not final question, but a somewhat final question. Do you think Stannis is going to succeed and take Winterfell? Uh, it's, it's like things are going so well for him, but that doesn't, you know, it's hard to say. I, I, it's hard to say. I think that, you know, when Stannis reels off again his CV, it's hard to not be impressed yeah. at the things that he has done. You know, with George, it's never a straight line. It's never, uh, you know... Army A beats Army B, and that's it. It's great. There's always a cost to these kind of victories. I think that Stannis will prevail in whatever form this this battle takes. You know, is it is going to happen on the ice? Is that where he breaks the Bolton's power? Is it some kind of like sneak into Winterfell after how it happens? I'm not sure, but I think I think Stannis does win here. That's just more hope than anything. But I think when you again when you look at his reputation his competence, the fact that as far as anybody knows, he has Arya Stark, the Stark blood that everybody could rally around. You know, like mm-hmm. surely people, like car starts aside, nobody is like, yeah, Ramsey, bring the Bolton rain on. I can't wait. That's going to be great. You know what I mean? Like the houses of the North, <laughs> Even uh, it, if yeah. a Stark should appear, especially outside of the grasp of Ramsey Bolton, I, I would imagine they'd be pretty excited by this. So I think Stannis has, despite the weakness of his position now in this moment, I think he has a lot going for him and I think he does manage to take it. What do you think? Yeah, I do too. I think he'll take it. I think he'll have uh, success for a while, but I think think maybe it'll be the others that he can't defeat. I think that might be the thing that takes him down because that's, uh, and I think that's more, a lot more satisfying than what the show gave us because, I mean, Stannis has long been a parallel to Daenerys. Stannis is like, Proto Azor High, all the things that Melisandre sees in Stannis are in Danny. And the show did just dropped all of that. All the Stannis are uh, Danny comparisons, which are so rich, <laughs> completely torched all that. And so having him go through the motions that Danny will succeed with, maybe, probably, uh, is super interesting to me. And uh, so he's laying so much really powerful groundwork for perhaps what yeah, we could call maybe a bigger character someone who's more prominent in the story. Uh, but yeah. but his the way it all goes down, too, the, the, the way Stannis goes down, uh, I don't know how that's going to happen exactly, but I think it's going to be amazing and, and really tragic. But he won't go down easy. Like, we, he's set up to be this... He won't go down ...stubborn easy. as hell. Absolutely yeah. Not. Yeah, so, he won't go down easy. One, okay, side question, though, uh, related to that. We, we agree he won't last the whole series. I think that's pretty much probably 99% of people feel that way. But... Mm-hmm. Do you think the others get him, or do you think maybe Brienne does, like in the show? Do you think there's any chance of something like that, or that's just too maybe too much of a TV? Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I think that's a little too much of a. I, I would be su- super shocked if it is Brienne that takes him down. Yeah. 
I, uh, I think she ends up converging again. This is just like more hope and dream than anything else. But I think she does end up converging on, on Winterfell. And then in the end, it is, it will be the, the others that, yeah. as they roll south, that take down Stannis. He could be at the night fort. Uh, he could die at the night fort where, where maybe, yeah. maybe the others are defeated at Winterfell, but he's by then, he's already been beaten at the night fort. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, the reason I, I think it's a valid question too, not just because it happened on the show, but because like you said, Brienne will probably be drawn to Winterfell as well. Uh, yeah. After all, she's supposed to go be looking for Arya and Sansa and eventually news will get out that they're there. If not, if mm-hmm. she doesn't find out somehow in advance. So she has all the reason to go there. <laughs> like, oh, Stannis is there too. Well, that's, that's everybody yeah. I want to well, save and perfect. or kill. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going. I'll be there. <laughs> so assuming this all does happen that way, we, uh, meaning the Stannis at least survives the short term, that gives us, mm-hmm. uh, let's move on to his further plans. Stannis signing this deal at the Iron Bank. We touched on it briefly, but let's, <laughs> let's get a little deeper, and deeper? deeper into it. With, deeper. With, with deeper, yes. Uh, so Justin Massey goes to go spend his money on swords. It's kind of a nice little parallel to Tyrion signing in blood with the Second Sons, where Stannis mm-hmm. does the same. And this is like, you're right, it's another example of Stannis being saved. It's like, you couldn't, you couldn't like warm that up for like three seconds. You just, he's like, no, <laughs> now, like. <laughs> yeah, right, do it. <laughs> like, he doesn't care. He's, he's ready to slash his finger up. He's like, a, a slash thumb is nothing compared to. <laughs> Honestly, I think every second does count here. I don't think point. he's he's really wrong about the impetus on them. Yeah, you're right. There, are, He's like, they could be here any minute. You're right. Like, they could be here you any know, minute. Any like, minute. You can't wait. Like, just imagine sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. Like, you're not getting anything really done. A- anyways, and and plus, he's just, you know, badass. It's a, you're, you're totally right because we know, and Stannis knows, that the maester sent news of where they are. So he True. knows they know right. where he is. It's only a matter of time before they arrive. Now, he wants them to come, but he doesn't want them to come right. before he's ready. <laughs> so, yes, very good point. But no, I feel like when I'm trying to get some people ready to go out, you yeah. know, and he's like, no, no, Justin, like you have an hour. Get everyone together right. now, now, chop, chop. Put your shoes on now. <laughs> and of course, this is that this signing in blood thing goes back to the beginning of A Dance of Dragons with that excellent quote from Illyrio. Uh, some contracts are written ink and some in blood. I say no more. And then we have the reader's comment. As a, as a framing here from A Feast for Crows, the Kraken's Daughter. I prefer my history dead. Dead history is writ in ink, the living sort in blood. So I, I, I interpret that maybe over eagerly, but it's fun to do so. As George saying, look, when these people are signing in blood, it's, it's now. This is, this is real and current and, and ongoing. People signing in blood is like, yeah, we're, it's on. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Let's touch back on what we, we, we briefly touched on this, this concept of the leverage buyout. The bank is basically trying to buy the throne, aren't they? They want to know, they, no matter what happens, they want to own whoever sits on the throne by the end. Is that kind of well, how you see it? Yes, for sure. And you could, you could argue that they've purchased it already, yeah, but they're looking, for, they're looking for you know, an agent in there who will actually work with them to repay. And I think that you could argue that uh, Stannis, because of it, again, because of his reputation, is a great choice as a person who will, dis- despite the Lannister words, p- actually pay his debts in yes. a real way to the to uh, to the bank. 
And on top of that, this is a great, I guess this is, we could say this is even a theme of the chapter in a sense that this, this reputation meaning so much. We got Ramsey's reputation, which is somewhat downplayed by Stannis, but pumped up a lot by Theon. We have Stannis' own reputation, which is huge here. And we have the Iron Bank's reputation, which looms over it all, I suppose, or at least hangs out in the shadows, uh, pulling strings. Uh, pick your metaphor. It's, uh, they all work pretty well. Yeah. I hope to have the honor of calling on your grace again when you are seated on your Iron Throne. You hope to have your gold, you mean. Save your pleasantries. It is coin I need from Bravo. It's not empty courtesy. Yeah, well, he's... He, well, I wouldn't... A thank you would be fine. I mean, like, yeah. uh, you, you know... You, does this remind... What else does this remind you of? When, when the whole world is in chaos and things are off yeah. and everything is screwed? Something familiar about the richest people in the world getting even richer. Hmm, what does that remind you of? Um, it, it really, yeah, <laughs> it's quite, it is uh, clearly these are the kind of issues that have been on George's mind. Um, and also, we can't forget the period of time when this was written um, yeah. after the banking collapse of 2008-9. So these are, these are issues that, that were current at the time that George was writing this stuff. You know, the, uh, so not surprising to see these kind of themes arise. And I think a question that people were asking, uh, particularly around the show, was like, how can the Iron Bank, but how can, what, why are they doing this? Why are they spending this amount of money? How can they, why are they throwing in uh, with Stannis this way? And I think they want to maintain, first of all, they've already thrown so much money at this. They're hoping to recoup something. <laughs> yeah. And two, if they want to continue as an enterprise, they need to show that you can't just borrow their money and walk away. Something will happen. There will be a penalty to be paid. This is super interesting to me, too, because it shows you that while the throne's being fought over and people have been fighting over that since the beginning, there's all these other one or two steps down from the throne level of powerful people that are mm-hmm. taking advantage as well. It's, this, it's the same thing Littlefinger has said. I guess it's a show line, Chaos is a Ladder. It's one of the more quotable show lines uh, because it really is pretty accurate uh, as, as a way to describe how some of these like really cynical people operate, cynical, ruthless people like him. His grain profiteering is thing we've touched on a lot here as it's, yep. as it's relevant for the rent winds of winter. Uh, the slave trade as a whole is under this massive uh, reimagining of itself and trying to stay alive and fight back against Danny and it's just caused so much financial upheaval all around the free cities and just as people are fighting for these positions of power they're fighting for these positions of extreme wealth and that chaos is a sort of a reset button on a lot of these and like well yeah entrenched industries that give so much wealth people are looking to either like the Iron Bank keep their position because they, they can't really go higher <laughs> I mean like right. they're the number one bank they just want to make sure they say that yeah. whereas other operations are trying to like maybe rise to that level. Yeah, really fascinating. And it, especially in a world where, you know, uh, so much is, ba- you know, there are no, there are contracts, obviously we just saw one piece signed, but uh, they're, they're backed up, you know, not by lawyers, but by assassins and armies. And, and the way you know you can trust somebody is because they have a reputation that they are trustworthy. That, all of that is the kind of bedrock upon which all of these societies, both in Westeros and, and, and in the East, are based. And all of it is eroding at the, at the same time. You know, we find out that the, 
we found out that the throne is basically bankrupt. We, we, we find out that the, you know, over in the East, as you mentioned, the massive slave economy that is not just an economy, but it is a, like a deeply entrenched society yeah. is like, is under immense threat from a vast upheaval um, that will free millions of people and also like ruin whole towns, kingdoms, uh, you know, entrenched yeah. power. Yeah. There is just a lot of upheaval going on. And it's fascinating to see who is rising under that upheaval. And I think, you know, the, the Iron Bank would like to be one of those one of those powers that is taking advantage of this time in a way that uh, that will only make them stronger in the years to come. Yeah, I say they can't get more powerful. I didn't really mean it like they can't be more powerful. They, ca- oh, they can't sure. be number one, higher than number one, but they can certainly right. increase their reach and their the different. They could be have more control over the Iron Throne than they had before, things like that. Yeah. And the, the common thread here, uh, less so with the Iron Bank, maybe, but still quite powerful even with them is that pretty much all these industries are, are built on suffering. Like there's the slave trade, the yeah. grain, the starvation trade as Littlefinger's grain profiteering, we can call that. And then the, the war trade, which is what the Iron Bank is engaged in here. And of course, what the bank is enabling him to do. Let's talk about that. This is maybe if we're thinking you, you were, I, I like that you brought up what was going on in the real world when George wrote this. Well, if we go back even farther to when you start the series, well, the Gulf War was new around yep. the time Game of Thrones was first written. And so was, uh, and, and one of the topics around the Gulf War was the use of mercenaries, like Black, the Blackwater <laughs> Company. Yeah. Hmm, I wonder, Blackwater, huh? I wonder why George used that mm-hmm. name. So, of course, the, so this is bringing out the Golden Company here. We talk about what Stannis wants to do. This is somewhat ironic because, well, we already know that according to Orane Waters, he's like, the Golden Company has broke their contract with Mir. They might be supporting Stannis. So, nope, not so much. Uh, Here's the quote. A company of good repute, if you can find one. The Golden Company would be my first choice if they are not already under contract. Seek for them in the disputed lands, if need be. But first, hire as many swords as you can find in Bravos and send them to me by way of Eastwatch. Archers as well. We need more bows. I like that in the unquoted part, he actually says, do not return with fewer, not less. Not- <laughs> <Yeah>. Fewer. <laughs> That's so good. Do you, so uh, the thing that makes me uh, uh, really think about it in terms of going forward is the, the, the comment about archers because that's like, yeah. That's like, it sounds like set up for fighting the others, like fighting the undead. That was a big part of what we saw on, the, on TV mm-hmm. is like fighting them at a distance, fire arrows, whatever, maybe, maybe, dr- maybe dragon glass arrowheads, things like that. I'm, it, for sure. I mean, listen, the, uh, as noted, these reinforcements, even the ones that are going to come directly from, from, uh, from Bravos, it, it'll be a while. Yeah. These, Stannis, I think, will take Winterfell. Can he hold it? This is the can he hold it part. This is Stannis thinking, I, I don't just need to break the power of the Boltons here. I need to be able to hold this castle, this region against other powers. Yeah. And in the show, what we saw was the sellswords leave him after he burned his daughter. Uh, that yeah. could line up somewhat truthfully to the books. Uh, I, I, I don't know about you. I'm certainly on team. He will burn Shireen in the books. 
And uh, I think so too. So that could be, we could be faced with a similar sort of situation where he, it's a last ditch no, resort, uh, and he, then they, they, they leave him in part because of that and because they're losing. That might be a bigger part. <laughs> they yeah, just I, like, I wow. think the, you know, the theme of, um, a theme of George's work is that no, no amount of tenderness goes unpunished. <laughs> you know, the, uh, uh, Stannis <laughs> is a ramrod straight, a steel person, and the one, drop of humanity and tenderness that he has in his life is his daughter and I could absolutely see it happening. I could see it happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Side note, interestingly, sent along with Justin Massey and Jane is Alison Mormont, um, who might know a few things. I this this sets yep. up a Miranda Royce kind of situation where Miranda Royce was friendly with Elaine, but also asking some kind of pointed questions and maybe Elaine said a little too much about Jon Snow, for example. That's the kind of uh, thing that might be a setup for some of Jane's secrets to come out because, you know, I don't know what... Uh, so we've Very got Jane, Elaine, Alisane, <laughs> yeah. and Miranda. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then, it's got to be a rhyme there. Uh, when you, you know, with that and with all the characters pretending to be other characters, my gosh, it is, it is, a, it is a tangled web. <laughs> so that's just uh, not much we can do with that one. Just, just hang it up on yeah. the wall and go, hmm, hey, Elaine and Jane, or uh, uh, Alisane and Jane. I can't even say it right. <laughs> Got you all mixed up. You did, you did. <laughs> so, yeah. as for Asha, now Justin wants to marry Asha because he wants the. Oh boy, does he? He sure does. So <laughs> he really does. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny, right? It's like Justin Massey ruling the Iron Islands. Like, just can't picture that. <laughs> I can't picture it. <laughs> I, think, I, I, I think he thinks about marrying Asha about as many times as he pushes his hair back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, he does not waste any time in being like, Asha, um, can we bring, any chance we can, uh, I can go with her over there? <laughs> yeah, I'll go too. I'll stick with Justin. <laughs> For one, she is like, yeah, I will. Yeah, well, hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, Jane having to stick, you know, trying to pretend to be someone else. It's like, I'm going to pretend that. Yeah. You know, Justin's the only one. I'm not excited about this guy, but he's the only one sticking up for me right now. So I need to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's a hell of a lot better than Clayton Suggs. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, you know, Stannis gives him a very firm maybe. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And he's like, I understand. Your understanding is not required. Only your service. Yeah. Like, okay. Now get out. <laughs> get on the boat. He's so irritated. But again, he's yeah. like, they could be here any second. So we got to give him a little bit of, yeah. you know, <laughs> he is on a timeline. He feels the clock ticking. And, and Justin Matthews is like, yeah, yes, but, 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 but get the hell out of here, man. <laughs> Asha, of course, also is a big part of the end of the chapter. Unchain me and I will serve you. As you served Roose Bolton and Rob Stark, Stannis <laughs> started? I think not. We have a warmer end in mind for you, Turncloak. But not until we're done with you. He means to kill me. The thought was queerly comforting. Death did not frighten Theon, Greyjoy. Death would mean an end to pain. How bad do you have to be? It, what, how bad of a mind state do you have to be to be like, oh, burning to death, that'll be nice. You know, I don't, know, yeah, I, I don't mean, know why he jumps to burning. He says a warmer end in mind. He might be sending him to Dorne. <laughs> <laughs> or Lise. Hey, well, yeah, yeah Lise is nice right. this time of year. Yeah. <laughs> or all times of year. Yeah. 
Um, I, I mean, I, you know, I think it's a, a, a fantastic window into the amount of suffering that, that Theon has, has endured uh, as Ramsay's pet. I could, you know, after all it has been through, just being like, yeah, you know, like 30 to 45 seconds of extreme heat and then it's over rather than day upon day upon hour upon hour of this maniac like cutting me open all the time. Yeah, I mean, even with Ramsey no longer doing that, like Theon's mouth yeah. is jacked up. Like he can't eat properly. He, he can't is, eat properly. It's like cutting eat. inside of his mouth. Like we know in our day, like how much that can, like one tooth can just kill you. Literally, it can't kill you. Yeah. yeah. So I'm pretty sure a whole mouth of that sounds awful. Yeah. Very bad. So one just alternative to consider, at least one of the many possibilities of how this could play out. Uh, we don't know what order things will happen. Who will happen? What will happen first? Will yeah. Rickon and Davos show up first or will Sansa and the Vale Knights show up first? Or will somehow will real Arya show up because she runs into fake Arya in Bravos and they're like, like the Spider-Man meme where they're pointing at each other like you, you're and, <laughs> <laughs> so something like that. So one possibility I've considered is that the reason I want to focus on Santa as a possibility is not only does Fire and Blood give us this amazing scene between Alaric Stark and Queen mm-hmm. Alysanne, which really feels like Sansa and Stannis because they've given their personalities. We've already talked about how similar Elaine is to, to Sansa, I mean to Alysanne, and Stannis and Alaric, we talked about that as well, both separately and together. So what I'm getting at here is Sansa might be the key to Theon getting a stay of execution because of Jane. Because he saved Jane, that's Sansa's mm. friend. By the same token, this could be the thing that, that undoes Littlefinger. So Jane could be the key to saving little Theon and ending Littlefinger. Oh, I like that yeah. a lot. I hadn't really considered that too much. I, I love that. Yeah, it, it's... It is fascinating to think about, you know, because nothing's ever easy with George and no <laughs> victory is ever given without a price. Like Sansa returning home, grabbing some kind of lever of power and then Rickon showing up. Yeah, that would, that would that prove do? it. It would what, prove that Theon's telling yeah. the truth about not killing them. Yeah. But takes it, it her power. Be, it, 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 it would be, but takes her power. Oh, yeah. the, the kind of, like what does... <laughs> True. <laughs> What are, you know, what, how the, the order of things is really fascinating to consider. <laughs> and, and, yeah, what does, for instance, what does, what, what Littlefinger, what happens to his plans if Rickon shows up first? Yeah. And is like, <laughs> hey, guess what? Stark's back on the playing field. And guess what? The male, the, the male Stark, you know, the male line's still going, folks. What, what happens to Littlefinger's plans then? I, it, it's really interesting to think about that. Like what happens with, which Stark shows up. Yeah, and one of the things that got me thinking about this is where Theon dies in the show. Now, he's not going to die mm. to Night King in the books. That seems pretty absurd, given that's not even a character. But he does die in the Godswood, which is interesting to me because if he's not executed at this Crofter's Village, Werewood, and Stannis doesn't want to kill him now, maybe Stannis is saying, I'm going to kill you once we get to Winterfell and, and get inside Winterfell, he could be executed in the Godswood, much as, you know, it'd be a different person killing him, but it would be the same location for him to die, which would be kind of an interesting little way to connect that. I wonder, you know, just as purely story mechanics, we, we've taken Theon from like the ultimate betrayal, the ultimate lows. He has existed in the lowest uh, possible state for hundreds of pages of now. Yeah. I could see George giving him some kind of Viking funeral at the end here. Some mm. heroic 
last hurrah where he sacrifices what little bit of broken life he has left to do something great. I don't know what that'll be, but it feels like the kind of arc that we're set up to get from Theon because the last thing I think that we'll get is some kind of random, the others roll over him and he's gone. Um, Like I, I, I don't, yeah, I think we get something. Yeah, obviously in the show, um, he's a good archer, right? And it's true yeah. in the books, mm-hmm. but I, it's not clear to me based on, you know, how messed up his hands are, whether he can really I think it's specifically use a bow. Stannis says, as I just read the quote for, we need every bow we can. Archers are super important, mm-hmm. yada, yada. So it lends credence to the idea that Theon, like in the show, will do something pivotal with his bow, saving someone hmm. and then die. Interesting. That's a good idea. That's a very good idea. I like that. Something else to consider mixed into this whole set of options is Bran. Again, if Bran's presence is there, that's one thing. But in the show, Bran was literally there. That's why they like, the Night King yeah, wanted to was- kill him. And so that could be, by this point, by the time the others have come to Winterfell in the books, it may be that Bran is at Winterfell and he might be hanging in the godswood because he would want to maybe be near the tree or something like that. It would, you could see that being the, the way they set it up. That seems interesting. Do you, do you think, uh, so you, that's a pretty cool way to in, imagine Theon's ending. So I think I was going to ask, will Theon survive Stannis? I think we, given our, the things we've talked about here, I think the answer would be yes. Yes, I think he will survive yeah, I Stannis. Think so too. Okay. I think so too. What about this, this Stannis and St- Sansa coming face-to-face possibility? Do you see that happening? <sighs> wow. Uh, I don't know if it would happen. I just know that I would love to yeah. see it. Good answer. Uh, you know, Good like answer. I, I, th- I think that's where I am with so much of this stuff now. Yeah. You know, like I, the reason I listen to y'all's podcasts and read the forums and 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 reread chapters is because, like, I'm just, I love thinking about it and talking about it. I don't know what George will do, but I just know that I want to spend more time in this world and I want to see characters who have never met meet each other. Yes, yes. I don't. What do you think? I, I mean, what do you think? <laughs> that's I, a good I way would to just, put it. I. I yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I know. I do think that will happen. I think they will come face to face. I think I never even really honestly considered it until Alaric and Alisane in Fire and Blood. And I'm like, this feels like setup mm-hmm. for Stannis and Sansa. Yeah. And then I started thinking about how could this happen? And then it was like, actually, it doesn't seem that strange at all. Stannis takes Winterfell. Sansa comes to Winterfell like Littlefinger's plan. I mean, Littlefinger's plan is to take her there to reclaim her birthright. Like, right. that's even part of his plan. Yes. It's not like she has to figure out a way to get that to happen. It's like, he needs that <laughs> legitimacy. Like, yeah. that, and the legitimacy means a Stark in Winterfell. Yeah. She has to go there at some point. And then we get all this potential for vaguely like what happens in the show with Sansa undoing Littlefinger. That's why we brought up Jane. If if he finds if she, if yeah. she finds out that he turned her friend into a uh, sex slave. Oh, that won't go well. I mean, and justifiably so. Littlefinger deserves some pretty serious justice there. So, yeah. Yeah. I think also, I mean, if we all thought that Theon would survive Stannis, then it makes just good sense that someone has to trade Theon from Stannis. So Stannis to Sansa just kind of goes hand in hand, I think, a little bit there. Otherwise, who's taking Theon from Stannis? That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it make also makes sense that Stannis would go to the Night Fort if, if you know, if Theon's, if it comes out that Theon didn't kill Brandon Rickon, then he no longer has to be like, well, this isn't the matter. This isn't King's justice anymore. This guy just killed two peasants. 
So that's the matter I, of the, I law. Still the law should take care of it. No, it still needs to be okay, justice, but it's, okay. it's a lower level court. It's like, you know, the Supreme Court doesn't handle okay, that. Yes. That's, that's that kind of thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's still, he still needs justice for that, but it wouldn't be, Stannis could remove himself from it and be like, okay, well, this is the, this is the domain of the Lord of Winterfell because it was just, you know, it was his small folk or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and that would also enable Stannis to, to leave, go to the Night Fort, take up residence there and to keep, take Asha with him because Asha is still his captive throughout, no matter what happens with Theon? He still wants to keep the Queen of the Iron Islands in yes. in, in his absolutely, you know, and then install her in the Iron th- uh, Iron Throne on the Sea Stone Chair, rather uh, afterwards um, with Justin Bassey, apparently, or I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's. The- I mean, how long? How long do you give Justin Massey if it goes through? Like, if that wedding went through, how long do you give Justin Massey before he falls off the off a ship? Um, a week, two. <laughs> yeah, not long. <laughs> Definitely, very little time. Yeah, he just look at someone wrong and yeah he, he he would last about as long as that mage that poor maester lasted with Vic, on victorian no. ships actually that guy lasted just quite a while so it'd be less than he, that he made yeah. it quite a while not a fun time for him <laughs> no poor dude poor dude that's another maester who's just utterly screwed by this it's like that's a rough parallel maester tybald uh maester Kerwin. they're just <laughs> bad 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 i mean you're just you know it's it's a crapshoot where you get assigned and it's not <laughs> It's very often not great. They can't all be with a maester at what? Um, I don't know, Fair Isle. No, that's just they get still get Ironborn there. I don't know. Like uh, I was like, what are you, Fair Isle? Yeah, give me. Yeah, like, I don't want to give me the other side. Yeah, yeah Starfall. Starfall sounds a lot safer. That's pretty that isolated. Nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what is the like? What is the one there? Like, yeah, there were all the, the young maesters are like, oh, Ooh, I, I hope I get a sign. <laughs> it's like, oh, the maester on the wall is old. I hope he doesn't die so we get sent there. That's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's so fun. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so let's talk about the ravens and some of the supernatural stuff. It's kind of our uh, basically our last main topic here, uh, and it's uh, a, a interesting way to segue away from the last topic because, of course, if we have Bran. Brand's presence at Winterfell, or at least his presence through the Werewood Network, is one or both of those things are going to be relevant, and they're relevant sure. right here. Uh, Brand's probably. Do you have a thought on why Brand is a is anti Theon's execution? I mean, assuming that's the case, I think I think we can interpret it that way. <sighs> but I, I don't know why Theon. Maybe he thinks he's suffered enough. Maybe he thinks he's important. Like you, maybe like Ashea said, he might save someone, and he needs to be alive for that. It's, yeah, it's hard to glean from le- legitimately a couple of lines of, of, but I think that there are so many possibilities in play that we can unwind. One is maybe it's just the simple human thing of, of recognition of a face uh, through the ocean of years that mm. it, it, within the Weirwood network that he sees and recognizes and, and knew him. Perhaps it's, perhaps it's that Theon will do something and, and, you know, like Gollum, there's a reason for him to be around. He must continue to live because there's something that he will do that will be pivotal. Mm. Um, I like to think that it's something like that, that that is the kind of role that that Bran is playing right now as a person who's able to see through the years, see the entire chessboard and understand the importance of a seemingly broken character whose life is worth almost nothing except that it should end. 
I tend towards your first idea, which is, the you know, just if you're swirling around in the Werewood Network and you see a face, you know, you're going to go Theon. <laughs> but yeah. I, I definitely also agree with some parts of, of what you say later, which is why I think possibly he sees Theon and then he tunes in because he, he yeah. says Theon once and then he actually says it very clearly later. Uh, so I think that's possible. And also, if we're assuming because there's two ravens, that one is Blood Raven, that one of them is the one that's trying to tell him to go they're to the dual. tree. So they both they're are split screening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're split screening. <laughs> they're each one eye of the, of the tree. <laughs> Blood Raven only needs the one. Anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because Bran, it seems like Bran was pushing him towards this, not just like just helping him regain his identity in order to lead to the escape. But it's it couldn't just be about saving Jane because otherwise because that's already mm-hmm. happened. Like it has to be more to it. So yeah, it is it is fascinating. But I think we kind of tend to agree that there's a purpose that Theon has to serve a purpose. He's got something meaningful to do, which would maybe give him you know a a nice conflicted, but he could go out on a high note doing something brave or important. That would be a pretty appropriate ending for him, I guess. Uh, let me ask you this. Sure. So Theon, obviously, like there, there's the importance of a claim to the sea stone chair with him. Would the Ironborn follow him as broken as and weak as he is? Do you, like, I think no. That's the, I think a zero right. percent chance, to be right. quite honest. No, it, it, even as a cat's paw, I struggle to see his utility in in gaining control over the Iron Eyes. Yeah, I, I just don't think they would follow him. And, I, mean, I, I don't think it would happen. It seems like Stannis even sees that. Like, Stannis is keeping Asha, who... Right. Right, instead of... Yeah, Theon. I mean, that's why he's expressing, I think, that Theon's value is in his knowledge. Yeah. And that's why he has him in the room to, like, hear what Stannis is talking about and, how yeah, have back and forth. Okay, here's the tough question. Who would the Ironborn rather follow, Theon or Justin Massey? <laughs> Justin Massey. <laughs> I really do think Justin Massey. I think Theon is so broken. I, mean, I, I, I think I think to Ajay's point, I think they give Justin Massey they give him a shot. Not that he ends up surviving it, but I think they give him a shot. Yeah. I think Theon, they just go no out of hand. They're it's a no. Yeah, I mean, if, if Justin Massey like swoops in on a ship and kills a bunch of people, they're like, okay, he's as good as Iron. Okay, Lord. okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so that's pretty cool. Now, another little point about Jane here, uh, speaking to the supernatural. Jane Poole had wept all the way from Winterfell to here, wept until her face was purple as a beetroot and the tears had frozen on her cheeks and all because he told her that she must be Arya or else the wolves might send them back. That is really like she's a werewolf in this moment. Her frozen tears is it a frozen sap. Her face was purple as a beetroot tree and the, and the tree's faces don't have noses and neither does she so it's like ooh, that's really george is checking off all the boxes there it's not just part wherewood it's like all the different pieces of her face line up mm-hmm. even the frozen tears and uh that really hits me hard because it's it's the thing that brand uh, he saw brand's face in the tree and yeah. now he's seeing like the similar face within her uh, like it's the reverse uh, uh, he's seeing a werewood face within on a human I don't have a like a conclusion to this, but I love to draw people's attention to it. Do you have any anything to add to this? I, uh, no, I, I I love that you brought it up, and I think you know any of the weirwood stuff throughout 
throughout dance and this and any of the illusions are for me particularly with the way you know game of thrones ended that aspect of this story is just so existential and integral to me as a fantasy story you know this these kind of elements of this ancient magic that we are just learning about that Bran is just kind of beginning to explore. We don't understand the full breadth of its power, what it means, what it can do. But the fact that it's here in these unexpected places that these characters maybe don't even quite see and that which we really are just finding clues of is part of what I find so fantastic about this, this story. Yeah. I just think that this is the, this is the good stuff. Well said. Hell yeah. Something I caught was this, this line about the trees not moving or moving, but there's no wind. Mm. That is one of the creepiest lines in all of HP Lovecraft. And that's a guy who knows how to write creepy stuff. And also a guy who was a big influence on George's writing because George you know, read a lot of Lovecraft growing up. The Color Out of Space has a, basically the same line where there's trees they're looking out at the trees are moving and they're like, whoa, those trees are really moving. And then they realize there's no wind and it's just like, oh, what the hell? <laughs> it's the creepiest thing. Uh, so that just added to the horror of this, uh, of this scene and the horror that is probably coming. Great pull. Yeah. Uh, let's see. A really good character moment that's kind of under the radar here is Stannis' insults for Wyman Manderley. Heartbreaking because that's my guy. Right? That's my fa- maybe my favorite chapter in Dance of Dragons. I have Dragons to tell you, I, I think is the Davos Manderley. Yeah, I think uh, that yeah. that North Remembers uh, chapter is for oh. sure one of the most iconic. I think maybe one of the most po- popular chapters you said is these. Yeah, it's when you vo- covered it, Tower of the Hand voting has it the number one chapter. Yeah, so yeah. there you go. Me, it just gives you chills. It gave me chills when I read it. Uh, it's an amazing, amazing chapter because not just because of like the incredible characterizations and the wonderful speech in Manderley and you realize the intense pressure he's under with these fray spies crawling all over him day and night. And he's got to pretend to be their friends, but also he wants to do the right thing. And he's can't forget about the, you know, the the ancient favor that the Starks did to him yeah. did to for, did for his family uh, centuries ago but just because that's where you feel that the story is propelling forward in a real way like yeah. we're, we're we're moving forward in a way that feels like the first two and a half books yeah and I hope I really hope this gets cleared up because yeah, yeah. Stannis thinks Manderly yeah. killed his best friend it makes friend. me so tense and anxious that, that yeah. just something will blow up here just based on miscommunication you wonder like the Manderly men yeah. who are like marching out behind the phrase they must know or at least their commanders must know like be able to tell Stannis. They have some way to communicate to Stannis. No, we didn't kill Davos. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something they have to, there's yeah, got to be a way. You like to think so. <laughs> I certainly anxious, do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Adding to the point we made before, a uh, great comment from Flick user Sophia says, yes, Ramsey wants his reek back. Stannis wants his onion knight back. <laughs> yeah. And we, we that builds on the com- the comment we made about both of them took fingers from the other. Stannis took fingers from, from Onion Knight and Ramsay took fingers from Reek. And yeah. <laughs> Asha is sort of walking around like a queen. She's got guards, but yeah. she's a prisoner, right? <laughs> so it's really showing like uh, Stannis is sort of allowing this. He, he sends her guards away when they're meeting privately. But when she's walking around, he's like allowing this in part because he 
wants her to look powerful because he's got her in change. It's like, makes him look like, hey, I took down the, the queen of the Iron Islands or whatever. Yeah, and I think there's a certain level there where he's like, well, what else are you going to do right now? I don't really, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you're not going to go yeah. anywhere, uh, <laughs> for one. And two, how do you make someone side with you and, you know, actually respect you yeah. as a king? Well, you don't keep them in chains. That's true. Yeah. Good point. And, and like you said, too, like as we brought, we didn't, we didn't explicitly say it, but it's kind of the conclusion. If you don't love Justin, Ma- like Justin Massey, nah. Uh, Theon, eh. So that kind of leaves Asha as far as Greyjoys go. You know, there's maybe, yes. maybe Theon's bastard child or something. Um, you know, who knows? But like, other than that, if that kid's not going to be of age anytime soon, if that kid even <laughs> exists. So like, Asha regent for that boy or something? I mean, I don't know. Something like that, maybe. But I like have I like that she's back with her crew though. One way or the other, Christopher Botley's Same. underrated. Carl the Maid's pretty uh, pretty bad. He is underrated. <laughs> he's the one and that another, figured out. Another, yeah, he's the one that figured it out. And another just a, another reason why this uh, this preview chapter is so great is you know picking up after the uh, the battle outside Deepwood Mountain and finding out who's what happened, who's still around, what the fallout from that was. Hmm. So there's a funny line here. Um, maybe George is playing around. There's this line, the air reeked of burning peat. Now, he could have said any difference. <laughs> a lot of synonyms know, for right? the word smell, but he used reek. So, <laughs> and Nina adds to this, there's another little mini parallel. Theon says, unchain me and I will serve you. And then when Asha comes in, she says, strike off these chains and let me help you take it. And, and Stannis is like, you guys are doing exactly what I need from you right now. <laughs> In those chains. Once again, Stannis is not having it. Nope. None of that. At the time, we noted this chapter when Stannis, or when Theon escapes Winterfell is directly next to Danny's Daznak pit chapter. That chapter yep. ends with her flying away. This chapter, the, the Theon chapter ended with him going, you know, f- he says we flew, but really they, they jumped. And uh, so it's expressed that way here. They fell. Yeah, I fell. Yeah, status way. So that's brought back here as a as a you know a parallel. Um, that's so clever. Like I don't have anything to add to it. Yeah, you do. It's just George, just under the radar again, making these amazing connections that super easy to miss. He's good. Yeah. He's good, folks. Turns out he's good. <laughs> the Massey situation. Something this reminded me of is kind of neat. Uh, him like leveraging the situation for a promotion. Yeah. It's like Davos was saying like, yeah, what about, you know, I'm just a, a lowborn guy. Like, why would they listen to me? You know, when when uh, he's standing there with all of Stannis's lords and they're all in their peacock feathers. And he's like, look at me. I'm in my boiled leather. Littlefinger, when presented with the same situations, like, hey, if you guys want me to treat with the Tyrells, I can't just be some nobody, right? You got to make me Lord of Harrenhal. <laughs> smart. So listen, it's smart. It's just smart. Yeah. It's just smart business. Leverage goes away if you don't use it and and you've got to pick your time to use it. And Justin Massey got a got a firm, maybe. <laughs> so clearly it was the right time to use that bit of leverage. Yeah. And Littlefinger got what he wanted. But Stannis, it, it occurs to me that the, what what Littlefinger said could have had Stannis's answer here. Littlefinger's like, look, they won't listen to me if I'm some nobody. And, yeah. and but Stannis says, right. yeah, they will. You'll have the Iron Bank's money. <laughs> it's like, and, and it's the same. Two fistfuls <laughs> of golden dragons. <laughs> They'll totally listen to you, man. No worries. Yeah. And so like, maybe they could have said that to Littlefinger. Like, dude, you're offering them marriages to the throne. I think your title isn't that important. <laughs> Another uh, historical reference 
there's some historical references that pop up in this chapter that also pop up in some of the other Winds of Winter sample chapters. And that is a number of mentions to particular claimants in the past, both the Blackfire Rebellions and Viserys. Viserys Targaryen has been coming up a lot in the sample chapters, which is interesting to me. Partly, I think the main reason is that it's a, it's a setup for Danny being blamed for his death. So they can call Danny right. Kinslayer. Is that is that kind of where you fall on it, Sue? I think that's something like that. And also uh, keeping the idea alive that that escape for Targaryens to the east has been a uh, has been a theme throughout the centuries, and that there are seeds there that perhaps have taken root that that, that will come back to haunt us one day. I think all of that is doing is is working within these references here. That's a really interesting take in a in a way that I hadn't considered. It might actually be foreshadowing for Danny not taking the throne. I mean, she doesn't really mm-hmm. take it in the in the books either, or in the show either. So maybe uh, maybe she never fully seizes it in the books. And that would be, I mean, she's not that, a black That fire, is an interesting, yeah, you're right. I but like she's that. cast in this light, yeah. yeah. Stannis says all the Targaryens who, who fled east to black fires, none of them ever came back to take the throne. Not one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess if you, maybe you could say Viserys the first technically was on the throne for one year after fleeing sure. as a seven-year-old. But hey, <laughs> that's, uh, he was murdered so quickly uh, or if he, if he wasn't murdered, he died so quickly. But anyway, so that, yeah, I, I, that's a very good take. I like that a lot. Um, and, and he's right. Like the black fires did keep going over and failing and he doesn't want to, yep. <laughs> he doesn't want to like bring back that, but he doesn't want to be part of that, uh, that group. But also it tells us that all these things are coming together. We have all these historical anecdotes mm-hmm. that have been with us since the beginning or close to the beginning and the, their relevance, their history repeating itself themes are all coming back around again. Or the story itself is coming together. We've got POVs and storylines starting to merge a lot more. There's fewer locations than there's ever been. Well, with the exception of like right at the beginning when there was King's Landing, Winterfell, and the East, and that's it. But <clears throat> it expanded, and now it's contracting again. Mm-hmm. So I think that's super fascinating. Nina points out a little one more little point about Maester Tybald. We've noticed, uh, you know, the naming conventions. It's that's a Lannister sounding name. <laughs> so you know, it is. It is. <laughs> Kind of funny. We had the the, the one maester for uh, Wyman Manderley pointed out. He's like, my maester was a Lannisport or Lannisport maester also. Theomore. Like all these T names. Let's go through these questions from our listeners. Guilty Undertaker says, except Arya isn't Arya. Is the offer from the Iron Bank similarly an illusion? Oh, interesting. So is, the, is perhaps Guilty Undertaker suggesting that maybe they something will change if they find out who the real Arya is? Or? Yeah, well, just just generally, the, I think more of the symbolism kind of of Stannis is is talking about mm. his his wins and he has fake Arya. Is this not really going to come through for him? The money. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, so maybe the, or maybe the Iron Bank, not an illusion, like their support isn't an illusion, maybe that the result of their support won't a- actually accomplish anything other than... Yeah, the, he the still same won't with Arya, perhaps, yeah. Either that or... You know, uh, bankers, when they take big bets, they love to hedge. They love to diversify. Maybe this isn't, maybe Stannis isn't the only person they're backing in a particular way. Maybe they're covering their bets and saying, and, and, and spreading it around a little bit in a way that we're not aware of yet. Good point. Yep. Very good point. Uh, Guilty Underrigger also says, also worth remembering, Stannis's mountain clan allies know that Bran didn't die at Winterfell. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, and probably they might know that about 
they may have assumed that about Rickon too, because if, if Bran escaped, then they might know they didn't see Rickon. That we're, of course, we're referring to that that member of House Little that encountered them and gave them shelter and, and then left in the morning. So he presumably told the other Hill clans. Uh, presumably, wouldn't point. they have like had a conversation that, you know, on screen? Really but he yeah. might have just told him like, my brother and I escaped and he went this way and I'm going this way. Yeah, it wasn't said, but yeah. it might have. Yeah, like there's lots of things that aren't said on screen. Like just we don't really need to hear a, a wrap up of what we just read, you know. Yeah. And Bran says he's going to repay that that little a hundred times over for every oat cake or whatever they gave him. So hopefully that that would be a nice dot to connect at the end if that little gets his uh, gets his due. <laughs> mm-hmm. A child of Valyria says, "Could Justin take fake Arya and bring the real one back? Maybe with the face of a sellsword." Absolutely, yep. I think that's a strong possibility. What do you think? You think so too? I completely agree that that is a very strong possibility and that would be I, fantastic. I think part of what happens here is, do you think that Arya is returning up to the north immediately or is she returning to the King's Landing area immediately? Yeah, that's Because a if question. she's crossing from, from Braavos, she's more likely to go one or the other than to go one right. and then travel all the way down or up north. I have a similar question about Rickon and Davos. Like, you'd think that Rickon and Davos might go from Skagos to Eastwash, but they might go back to White Harbor because that's who, where they were sent from, right. right? Whereas Arya, if she goes to Justin Massey, you'd think it'll be Eastwatch because that's what Stannis said. Send bows to Eastwatch, send men to Eastwatch, have them go through there and then make their way down to him. But yeah, like if enough time has passed, Stannis is a different location or yeah, you're right. It could be right. some different setup entirely. Max L says, only problem is these Bravosi sellswords will probably end up with Stannis on the wall. Are sellswords your best bet when the army of the dead rolls up? Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> they may just decide I to mean, judge that as it comes, like, oh my God, never mind. But <laughs> I guess it depends on how fast the, the uh, calamity befalls everyone. Yeah. Uh, of course, you know, sellswords are noted for their propensity for making the cost benefit analysis uh, in the moment of what is best for them. At the same time, if the army of the dead is rolling down on you, you've kind of got no option but to fight. So having them there, I think, is better than uh, not having them there. Yeah, good point, good point, yeah. Dornish Dame says, could uh, Asha could be pregnant? We don't know if she said moon tea after that scene with Carl and the Wayward Bride. I am dubious of this possibility because if you recall... They took a long, long. Remember how long they were stuck in the snow to get yeah. to Winterfell? So it's been like six to eight weeks. I think she would be showing. Yeah. Okay. Dornish Dame also says, could see Illyrio being smart enough to send an envoy to the Iron Bank, offering to cover the Iron Throne's debts when Young Griff takes the throne. Excellent point. Illyrio is that one. smart. That yes. is a great one. Yeah, he is that smart. That that circles back to our question about the support maybe being an illusion from the point of view of, of how Arya, the Arya thing is playing out. Also, Stan is signed in blood, which we were just told that blood doesn't really work that well for signing. It's like, actually, he didn't sign it. There's nothing here. <laughs> no, I don't think that'll be there out, but it's, it's funny to think about that, that it's, it's a short-term uh, kind of thing. Um, yeah, so that's a great point. Like, that's, that opens up a whole other yeah, level of discussion we'll have to save for some other time, but I, I have to admit, I didn't think of that, and it makes a ton of sense. We'll, uh, we'll, maybe we'll have a little more on that next week. Give us a few days to think about that. Yeah, one. Dornish Dame is always killing it. Dornish Dame, excellent commenter. Good job, Dornish Dame. One other, uh, another question that came up was, how does Theon know the sound of Stannis's voice? Because one of the first things he he thinks is, I know that voice. I think it's just uh, because 
time has passed. This isn't the first interaction they've had. Like he was brought to Stannis, then hung up on the wall. He's been in this room all this time. So yeah, it's just not clear to us, the reader at right. the beginning until uh, right. you get Theon's memories of the past, at which point you're like, oh, some time has passed. Yeah, true that. Uh, Eric Forg says, does Theon ever leave the vicinity of Winterfell? And does he again ever encounter Euron, Victorian, or Aaron? Ooh. I don't think he sees them again. Yeah, I don't think he does either. I don't think he does either. Uh, I mean, I, I, maybe Euron. Yeah, if Euron is Aaron, flying around, I don't know. Yeah. 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 I mean, if Euron, like, like, remember the one of the possible scenarios is, is Euron blowing a horn to take down the wall. But if he blows a horn to get a dragon and then uses the dragon to take down the wall like Night King does in the show. Maybe that's why yeah. he's in that vicinity. But Yeah, that's why I'm like, so yeah, Euron, if he's flying up there, it's possible. Yeah, like, there he is. I see him, but that, that's not exactly encountering <laughs> him. <you know? laughs> Great comment from Rolling Knight uh, to leave us for the day. This is our final comment. He says, Sir Roderick said to Theon when Theon said, when I was brought up here at Winterfell, I was basically a prisoner. And, yeah. and, and Sir Roderick says, then perhaps Lord Eddard should have kept you chained to a dungeon wall, which is pretty much how he's spent the entirety of his time since he betrayed the Starks, <laughs> either chained to do yes. with a dread fort or on a... Yeah, so I guess that's, that was foreshadowing at the time at, after all, wasn't it? <laughs> Man, any little line that George drops of dialogue could be foreshadowing. I mean, she's. Really. I mean, so we've uh, <laughs> we were going to take it as such, whether it is or it isn't. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Sometimes it becomes retroactively for sure. George yeah. realizes, right. hey, I wrote that. I could use that as foreshadowing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Works so well, so so well. Wow, look at us. We we aimed for two hours. And we did it exactly. Like this is this is like yeah. exactly two yeah, hours. Jason we really rarely got, are we so us, on point with our time. Yeah, on point, exactly. <laughs> we usually we have like at least next half hour. About. <laughs> <laughs> so here's where we again ask for your support on our Winds of Winter audio project. We've got two of them out. The third one is well underway. The fourth one is going to be the Forsaken. Yes. Uh, so. It, if yes. you want to submit a voice, if you want to get involved, any of you really, you'd be surprised. You might not think you have a good voice. It doesn't matter. We need a variety of voices and quote unquote good voices is not how it works. You want voices right. that are interesting or original. They don't just, they fit the part. You yes. never know what's going to fit. So. so yes, feel free to audition for a particular character, just your voice period, do whatever. Send us an email and we'll get the ball rolling on that. But right now we're doing Tyrion too. So yeah. I just need a brown bend still. I'm <laughs> struggling. Brown Ben is very hard to cast. Yeah, brown Ben is tough. And uh, if you haven't listened to the audio samples so far, we've got Victorian and Mercy out at this point. Tyrion 2 will be next. So check those out. You can find them on SoundCloud. You can find them on our Patreon. They're not there for free, but they're posted Patreon. They're also in our Facebook group. And uh, yeah, check that out. They're very, very good. Thanks to everyone who participated. And thanks to you, Maester Jason, for coming on today. This was a lot of fun. We had thanks some for great having laughs, me. Great, was... some great takes. I would love to come back. Let's do Thank it. Thank you for having when me. When the Winds of Winter comes out, that's the thing. Well, or when the I next fr- show I comes believe, out. One of yeah, the, either Winds happens. of Winter or House of the Dragon. Yeah, yeah one of those two. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> hopefully we'll see time. you again in person at one of these actual Con of Thrones whenever a convention happens. I can't wait. Yeah, some, uh, it's, I can't wait. The, the, the light is growing. 
uh, <laughs> as far as our yes. opportunities. I can't there. wait. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, once again, thanks for coming. It was fantastic. And again, tell everyone again um, where to go look out for you on Crooked Media. Where's the, what's the... uh, Uh, Take line every... Take line every Tuesday on uh, wherever you get your podcast from Crooked Media and All Caps NBA every Friday and more pop culture stuff uh, to be announcing. Cool. And you are network with uh, three yes, instead right. of E's on, on Twitter. And you are one of my favorite tweeters of all time. You are so funny. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And you guys are, uh, you know, my favorite a Song of Ice and Fire podcast for many years. Well, thank you so much. That is, that just, I, I don't know what to say to that. I'm, I'm just so happy to hear that. It makes me very, <laughs> makes me blush. <laughs> like a beetroot, like a werewood face, but, uh, <laughs> but without the tears. No, no werewood yeah. tears this time. We mentioned a few of our other episodes. Of course, the Battle of Ice series with Jeff Hartline is uh, eminently uh, relevant to these uh, topics here. Our Blackfire Rebellion series, of course, is a, uh, great lead-in to all the, the detail that's uh, brought forward here by Stannis and Justin Massey. And hey, why not check out our Wit and Wisdom of Stannis Baratheon episode? It was one of the earliest episodes we made. It's just a collection of his funniest lines and us just laughing about them. If you don't know why the title is that, there's actually a book that was released, an official book called The Wit and Wisdom of Tyrion Lannister. It's like a little short little booklet. Yeah, it just has his some of his best jokes, you know, and they're like, that's a yeah. good way for then to make a little extra money, George is like, sure, give me... And we were like, hmm, actually, Stannis is very funny. We considered doing Dollars Ed, too. Yeah. We kind of should, we, we still We will one day, but we have such a backlog of, of good episodes. It's, it's, we never run out of topics, so... <laughs> never, never, never. Also, thanks again to our regular contributors. Thanks to Joe Buckley and Emily. Thanks to Nina Friel, who will be our guest next week for our wrap-up and theory time. Uh, thanks to Ashea behind the camera, running all these things. Had some great takes today, reading quotes as well, managing the chat. So much happening. Thanks to our mods on Facebook group. You guys do a great job over there, keeping the discussions going. Thanks to our regulars over on Flick and Slack and Discord. Thanks to Michael Clarfeld and Claradox DE for the video intro and for the wonderful maps that you see behind me. If you're watching this on video, if you're if you're listening podcast version, if you haven't ever checked out Michael's maps, you really should. And thanks to Kevin McLeod for the Val Arboretus intro music. Thanks to Joey Townsend and Jesse Koval for the regular History of Westeros music. Thank you to our Benjineer for the editing and sound quality assistance. Thank you to our patrons for keeping the lights on, for making this all possible. We would not be here once a week without you all. So eminent thanks. You guys make me blush too, just like uh, like Jason just did. <laughs> <laughs> And on Here Be Dragons, we always like to finish off with a shout out for our friends over in Here Be Dragons who get started. Uh, normally like five minutes when we're done. Yeah, normally they're just starting right after we're done or they've already started. But you guys have a good uh, 45 minutes to an hour this time. Or if you're catching this on replay, you can catch them on replay. They're doing an episode of I Know That Nerd today, which is their recurring sort of uh, get to know someone in the fandom stream. Today, it's Elora is the guest. So get to know Elora, the nerd, <laughs> which, yeah. of course, coming from me. You is bully. Compliment. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm a nerd. laughs> if this was some sort of 80s jock film, that would be an insult. But I always identified with those nerds, too. I'm old enough for that. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. All right, everyone. Thank you very much. Thanks again, Jason. And we will see you next time. Thank you. For more. Bye. Bellar, reread us.